Welcome to the QNS Podcast. Each week, we take a look back at the news in Queens. I'm Jacob Kay. And I'm Angelica Acevedo. Today on the show, we're talking about the borough president's race. It's beginning to heat up as the candidates find out who made it onto the ballot and who didn't. And we talk to Anthony Miranda, a candidate for borough president. Let's burrow in. Commissioners of the Board of Elections met last week to determine which of the candidates running for borough president made it onto the ballot and which of them did not. There are a host of reasons why one wouldn't qualify, like if you didn't get enough signatures or petitions. You need 2,000 to qualify, and they all need to be valid. Daniel Mayo and Everly Brown had issues with their signatures, and that's what got them kicked off the ballot. And Jacinta Jagasar or Newell was ruled off for not getting enough signatures by the time of the filing. But there are also technical reasons, like a mistake in the paperwork. And that's what happened to Anthony Miranda, who we'll speak with in a few minutes. The BOE, that's the Board of Elections, said that an unauthorized person submitted a part of his paperwork, and therefore the paperwork was invalid. Miranda says that the issue is resolved, and he'll be back on the ballot after he argues the issue in court on Monday, February 3rd, which is the day this episode airs. The BOE declined to comment on the court case. Now, just a note about timing. We air this show on Monday, but we sometimes do our interviews a week in advance. So we interviewed Miranda a week ago, and then a few days later, the BOE ruled him off the ballot. So we followed up, and we'll play that conversation after. But for now, here's our first interview with Anthony Miranda, a retired police officer, president of the National Latino Officers Association, and current candidate for Queensboro president. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Miranda? Okay, my name is Anthony Miranda, candidate for Queensboro president. I am married, have three boys, live in Fresh Meadows, Queens. I'm retired from New York City Police Department as an officer, detective, and sergeant. I was later appointed as the chief of police over the Administration of Children's Services, which I served for two and a half years. I retired from that position and, and currently running for Queensboro president. So what made you decide to run? I've been in um, community activity, community activists, and a lot of civil rights work for the last 30 years. Queensboro president is a, a pulpit that will be able to advance that agenda. I think we're in Queens, we, we need a lot of active political involvement um, and active representation. I think when I, did, when I was considering the opportunity to run for Queensborough president, it was the pool of candidates. Um, we've had term limits for a, for a reason, term limits for, so we wouldn't have career politicians leading, leading decisions of our community. So they turned that around now, and they now reinvent themselves in other positions. And I think if we take them at their word that they did the best job that they possibly can do in their prior positions, then they've taken us as far as they can. The things that we're suffering in Queens, which is uh, affordable housing, which is responsible housing, which is uh, health care, which is the overcrowding of schools and the dis- disarray of our transportation system, when you say these things didn't happen overnight, so it's as a deliberate or a neglectful aspect of our elected officials not taking care of the things that they should. Um, so as a parent and, and a father in this community, I decided that I got tired of listening to politicians make promises that they had no, no plans of keeping and recycling the same people was not going to be a solution to our problems. You already mentioned a few points, um, but what's your platform as a whole and issues that you want to focus on? In the Queensboro President's Office has an opportunity to see the diversity that Queens truly represents. We have one of the most, we have the, the most diverse borough that we have. And unfortunately, the Borough President's Office doesn't always reflect the diversity that we see in our communities. And we had a lot of communication about the community boards as well and the lack of diversity there, the lack of Hispanics especially, and other communities. 
But the Queensborough president has a direct responsibility in, in the makeup of, of their office and in the makeup of the community boards. And so I think it's a deliberate failure of uh, insight to be able to not have addressed those situations ahead of time. So that's one issue that we need to fix immediately. And the process would be having a one place where everybody can apply, where it's documented, come into the Queensborough president's office, funnel those applications back to the city council people, because, again, many of them give the response, I couldn't find anybody who wanted to do this job. Well, then I think that's they couldn't find any because they weren't looking. I think there's plenty of people in our communities and our diverse communities that we have that are willing to do the job if they understood it and if they were if the outreach directly to those communities. So that can be controlled by the Queensboro President's Office to ensure the fairness and diversity that we're looking for. I met a lot of people along the campaign route that said I applied, would never responded to, never got a reason why I was even denied. I think this is a, a failure of the, of the process. And the Queensboro President can play an immediate role in that. And we also have the extensive development that's going on all over Queens right now, the luxury buildings that are being built. And this is, again, every city councilman that's running for Queensborough president approves all the land usage, right? So when they say, not in my district, some of them say, well, it didn't happen in my district, that's because they protected their district but sold the rest of Queens out. And I think so people have to hold them responsible. You can't give them another venue when they sold the rest of Queens out. They, I don't care that happens in other communities, but I'm okay it happens everywhere else except my own. So I have a problem with the people running for office that have allowed these things to happen. And affordable, again, affordable has to be responsible building. It has to be responsible. If you're building in a particular community, it should be based on the income of the community you're building in. And the people in that community should get priority over the housing that's being built. And we need to ask real questions of our developers. What kind of apartments are you offering? Not just the single-room apartments, two-bedroom, three-bedroom, for families. And we're actually going to start helping families in our community and giving them a priority choice. Uh, again, this is the lack of interaction or questions or neglectfulness in the approvals that they've allowed. They also have never done a feasibility study. So you're dropping 100 families in the middle of a community that already have strange resources. So all luxury development should be stopped immediately until we have a feasibility, stu feasibility study done, which indicates what the additional strain will be on the limited resources that we have here in Queens. A lot yeah. of things. <laughs> <laughs> a few months back, there was a Sunnyside Yards rally. Yes. And you talked about redevelopment. What do you think about that issue? Again, you can't, we can't be investing in, uh, you know, they called it the Abu Dhabi project, a luxury project that they're going to build in the middle of communities that are suffering right now. How can you afford to give that type of investment out, city property, and allow these things to happen when you haven't fixed the basic needs of the people that are living here currently? So there has to be a realization here. It's like um, we get distracted from, from our basic needs, and we allow people to change the conversation on us about the luxury development. But in actuality, you had public housing right there where they had, don't have hot heat or hot water, where they're inundated with rodents, their failure to have repairs, and they're mostly communities of color. Uh, so, again, if we allow ourselves to distract from the basic needs that our communities, challenges our communities are facing, then they've actually won the battle. And I think we need to stay focused on taking care of our community first before we start building for other communities. And you were also at that air train protest, City Hall. Absolutely. What, what do you feel about that project? Again, the ULA process was there to protect communities and to make sure the community has a voice. 
Now, whenever you have a project that usurps that, that takes the community out of the conversation and it takes local politicians from their influence about decision-making, and then there's something wrong with that as well. The community has to be involved in these projects. Imagine that they're going to put a train running right through Queens, and it's not dealt for any of the residents. It's dealt for you know visitors going into Manhattan, airport traffic going into Manhattan. Logically, they could have made stops along the way, which could have helped Many parts of Queens have additional transportation needs, but they didn't do that. So they weren't focused on the needs of the community. And I think whenever we did a process that you, again, usurping the authority of local, local elected officials and the process and not allowing the community to have a voice, then we have to have a demonstration. We have to ensure that we try to stop those projects from happening. And we need to return back to the legal process that's there and not allow any elected official to go past the process. What would you say would be a feasible alternative to that air train because I know it's, there's a really big conversation. Again, the focus is trying to be distracted from what our needs are because the real needs at Queens are we need to extend the transportation system that we have currently, coordinate the, the bus service in a, in a more cohesive manner, extend the train service that we have. Imagine the amount of money that we spend on an air train. If we had used that money to extend some of the local trains or add additional train service, how much more that would have benefited our local residents? Again, the focus has not been toward benefiting Queens, and I think the Queensboro president needs to be a part of that conversation. When you're doing these type of projects, we're not the focus. We need to make sure that changing the focus and say, what's the local benefit to community residents that you're building straight through, you're using you know, your uh, overall authority to take over people's property and land and city land, and you're just saying, we're going to do this anyway. Right, so which I think every community should be challenged, because if it happens in one part of Queens, then they can start doing it in other parts of Queens as, as well. So we have to, again, make sure that we're respecting the processes that are there to protect us. As a retired NYPD officer, I'm sure you are aware of the bail reform law. What do you think about that? The bail reform is a response to abuses that have been taking place for many, many years. And taking away some of the authority that the judges had are also part of the abuses that have been well documented, where judges and and other officials are just putting mostly black and brown people in jail for very minor offenses. So now you had bail reform. Now, I believe there are some things in there, like the state senate, it doesn't fall in the borough president's purview, but the advocacy of representing our community, that, that we can do. And in that respect, I believe that we need to start looking at those bail reforms. I think the, the state senate is now reviewing it because they had manslaughter on there. They also didn't take into account any biased crimes. Um, so they, they kind of didn't have a, a true law enforcement perspective. And a community perspective, I think we also have to start talking to the victims of crimes as well. Because when we only respond to one part of our justice system, then we neglect another part. And then we're always going to be like a rubber band snapping back and forth. And the changes are just so dramatic that it causes people to panic. And I think it's also being misrepresented because the, a lot of our electeds, people running for office, are trying to sell this as a fear-mongering. Like the world's going to end because we now did these things. That's not the case. What they're trying to correct are the abuses that went on that were inherited in the system, that it was being operated in an extremely biased manner. So as law enforcement officers, we understand that as well, but we also understand the balance that the community still needs to have confidence that they are safe, that their children are safe, that their families are safe. And again, I'm the only candidate that brings that balance to the table with a clear understanding of what it takes to make us safe and understanding of the abusiveness, how we need to prevent the abusiveness. That's the civil rights work that I've been doing for the last 30 years in our communities. What do you think about the progressive wave in Queens, and how do you think it's changing politics in the borough? The election of the congresswoman is, was phenomenal, 
right? It was well AOC, over, right? AOC, correct. It was a movement that you saw awakening, right? Because all, all our elected officials now, they all talk bad about Crowley now. And they'll all talk bad about other people after they lose office. But while they were in office and while they were under an abusive system where they couldn't speak out for their communities, they didn't challenge the process. So if an elected official has the inability to speak up when they see injustice, then they don't need to be there anymore. And so if Crowley identified by most people, most people was a, a machine politics where you have a law firm that's mostly controlling the outcome of all politics in Queens, and they don't even live in Queens, I said, so that's a challenge, right? Ocasio woke up the community, surprised everybody because she had an active base. I call it active voting. When you have active voting, you change politics. And I think that was phenomenal to happen. Now you had the second race that happened, which was Caban's race for DA. Losing by 16 votes, she won in the ballots. That means that she won at the polling sites, but she lost it in the back room with the the absentee ballot system that they have in place. Everybody's going to question forever the fairness of that process and whether anything was done. Nobody's ever going to believe that was done fairly. So that that was the next race. The next race was um, the judge that we just spoke about, right? And then she, all of a sudden, she's the first one in 50 years to ever challenge the process and, and run for judgeship, right? And she won by phenomenal numbers. So I think there's an awakening in our community of all the voters. The fact is that less than 10% of our community is voting. And that's been my message all along in this campaign. If we're only operating at 4 to 10%, then we've already lost as a community. We need to be operating at that 90 95%. We have over a million 200,000 registered voters, active voters already in Queens. To think that 76,000 is an, a, an enormous race for people. They say, wow, a lot of people came out to vote. We're not looking for 76,000 when we vote in this process now for Queensboro president. We want 200,000, 300,000 people. We have a million 200,000 registered voters. So we're actively telling voters, exercise your rights, because at some point you lose them. And when you have entire communities that are not active in voting, I think that the machine politics wants that. They want people to be misinformed. They want people to not be involved. That's not what we want. We want everybody involved, every different part of our communities, the entire diversity that Queens represent. We should all be awakened right now and say that any one community well organized can dictate who will be the next winner. So if you give them that power and you give that, them that, that insight that, again, any one community, regardless of what the ethnicity is right now in this process, can determine who the next Queensboro president will be. That's phenomenal. That's empowering. And that's the message that we're sending. So we don't want a close race. We want a people's race, a a people's mandate to say that we have arrived and that we're speaking louder than we ever have and that they have a voice that they have confidence in that's going to take on the fights that nobody else will, which is my history and what I was doing. While other politicians were hiding on these controversial police brutality cases and things that were going on, they only came out when it's safe. We came out when the parents and the families needed the help. So we, when police work is done properly, we speak out properly. When the police work is done improperly and we have over-enforcement and incarceration of innocent people, then we're also the ones that speak out about these things. Illegal quota systems in the police department have existed since I joined the, 1982, I joined the police department. They've been around that long. We've spoken at city council hearings, congressional hearings, dictating the illegal quotas that the police mandates have. None of our elected officials have taken on that challenge. They claimed they stopped, stopped questioning Frist, that they stopped it. No, they didn't. That was a private lawsuit by citizens who got together, and it took the Center for Constitutional Rights and the New York Civil Liberties Union to be able to bring those cases to court to win. But the city council had the same power. There was a tremendous failure on their part to be able to hold the, people, uh, the police department accountable for the abuses that are going on in our communities. So, again, Queensborough president, yeah, it's a powerful voice for everyday people.
I also wanted to ask, I saw on your Twitter feed you endorsed Bernie Sanders. Yes. And you aligned your campaign with his. Think of, think of this process, and this is the, the commonality that we have. They set us out with a 12 days to collect 2,000 signatures to qualify for borough president. Unfortunately, we didn't get our, our petitions because the machine politics. We get our petitions two days late, right? So we had 10 days to collect 2,000 signatures. In 10 days, we collected 9,000 signatures, grassroots people coming out from all the different parts of Queens to come out and help. Bernie Sanders represents that exact effort. It's a grassroots, not machine run, not by investors, not by realtors. It's a people's campaign where you're empowering people to have a voice at the table. So we're in line in all those things. Reform is needed. We're, we're, we're promoting reform, right? And that's what we're talking about in Queens politics right now. How do we change the disconnect of all, all the people that live here? And again, go back to the realty. I think not three or four of all the city council people or ex-elected officials, so to speak, have all taken money from developers. If you're taking money from developers and you're the person who approves the projects at the same time, there's a conflict of interest here. Who are you representing after? The people who are paying you or the community? And then you got some of our elected officials, well, let's look at my, I, I put 400 units over here, but you gave away a million, right? Yeah, you, you did put affordable housing, a small project together, and you, wanna, you want to get praise for that. Great job. But let's talk about the million that you gave away, all the other parts of Queens that were sold out from underneath us. Bernie Sanders' campaign was about holding people accountable. Uh, holding our elected officials accountable and about bringing more people to the table so that the people's voice will be greater. There's no greater alignment than, than what our campaign is doing as Queensborough president. We're, we're matching in our mission. We're matching in our dedication to empowering people. And there's no separation in that ideology. And we come from different places. He took on fights when it was unpopular to take on those fights. So you look at the work that we've done, uh, that I've done in the past 30 years, I've also taken on those challenges that nobody else will. When it wasn't popular to do it, we took on the struggles of making, making sure we represented our communities, the diversity in the police department, the hiring of Latinos, the promotion of our Hispanic community, and, and then the Hanshu law where they had illegal surveillance of communities of color and religious organizations. That was part of letters. Uh, legal action that we took as an organization that stopped that policy that was going on, illegal actions by the police department. But we had to take on those fights while we were still working in the police department. So you understand that was very dangerous for us, but we took it. Daisy Borrier, the first Latina to speak out in the, in the case of death of uh, um, Anthony Baez, right? She, the police department said we could not keep her safe from other police officers, not from the community, from other police officers. We were the ones that went out there and defended her and protected her. So there's a need to have us working in the police department and working in these agencies because we need to make sure that we're represented there as well. In the same token, we need to have elected officials that understand that struggle that we're going through and that are willing to take on that fight, not because they ask permission, because it's the right thing to do. Even if nobody else will stand with you, you have to be able to stand up and fight back. Well, thank you so much for the talk, Mr. Miranda. Thank you. Again, it's a pleasure to be on your program, and um, invite me again. I'm looking forward to it. So as we mentioned before, we followed up with Miranda, and here's that conversation. So we talked to you last week, and in the time since, the Board of Elections has said because of a technicality with your cover sheet, you won't appear on the ballot. What are you doing to get back on that ballot? Well, as of uh, Monday, February 3rd, we'll be back on that ballot. So uh, it's not a non-issue. It oh, was great. a long message that they sent out to the community, and it was a bad message. And they 
Board of Elections has already done this in the past, and there's plenty of law that precedes this that says they should never have done it. Um, so, again, it's just part of the machine politics where they try to disenfranchise our communities and try to eliminate the people from having a choice. So we need to continue this fight, and we will. So Monday we're back on the ballot, and we continue. We haven't stopped our campaign. We knew exactly what was going on. And what would you expect? It's 126 years you never had a Latino candidate for Queens Borough president. I wouldn't expect anything less than with a machine that disenfranchises people and generally discriminates minority, against minority communities. Okay, so why don't you walk us through how that process worked out? Well, the lawyers that signed the documents on the first page they put the required, I, I have authorized to represent Anthony Miranda. And then when they revised it, they submitted a second page, which is placed right on top of the first page. They didn't put that disclaimer under his name. But he's a lawyer, administer, administrator of the court, and they were in conversation with him. So they had an opportunity to cure the defect right then and there. They had been in conversation with the attorney the entire time. But then again, this again when you're motivated by Queen's politics and the Queen's machine tells them to do something, instead of them going to the lawyer and say, just put the statement under your name because that's all it was, they went straight to the board and said, because of this technical issue, we need to, it's not qualified. So it's no issue with our petitions. There's no issue with the work that was done with all the volunteers that we had. Ten days, we collected close to 9,000 signatures. It's unheard of. They didn't expect it. And we had people signing from all the different parts of Queen's. So I think we're very strong in our representation and the diversity that we have. And get it, but it, 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 we would expect anything less. Remember, what they also did, they kicked off a, uh, mostly all minority candidates. So they haven't, they haven't discontinued their vision of disenfranchising minority communities. If you don't agree with them and their ideology, then they're going to try to eliminate you, which they did do to many other candidates. So there was another thing brought up this week as well. You were the head of the National Latinos Officers Association. Someone pointed out that some of its Facebook members uh, recently posted reactionary, conservative, and in some cases, conspiratorial content. Obviously, you don't have control over what members post, but I still wanted to ask, you know, what, if you've seen them and what you think about those. As a civil rights advocate, which I have been for, for many years, and understanding that part of our struggle is to ensure that we hear everybody's voice, I am not a participant of subject of, you know, disenfranchising other people for speaking their minds, right? We have to bring a diverse group of people together and to either bring them to the attention or the ideas that we have. You don't do that by forcing people to say they can't post or put the things that they feel online. Law enforcement community is unique, and the people that are also part of that say many things. Even against myself over the years, I've been the subject of a lot of criticism and a lot of comments. But we also have all the other support that we had, good comments about Ocasio, good comments about Caban. We've talked about the discrimination lawsuits that we filed and the cases that we've defended over the years. All that additional information is also out there. It's for people to read and make choices. My goal and anything that I participate in is to make sure that we protect people's freedom, to freedom of speech, to freedom to represent themselves, and to try to bring them back to the table to have an open dialogue about why I believe our views are more representative of what we need. Not everybody's going to agree, but we have to have the dialogue. So there's about a month left, a month and a half, a little bit, of the campaign. What are you doing for that final push? Again, we're continuing what we started before, which is visiting most of the communities which are disenfranchised. Um, we have all parts of Queens covered right now in terms of our outreach. 
and now we're going to push people for early voting. It's 10 days. Second time we're doing this, and it's an opportunity to make sure that all of Queens is heard. And that takes everybody exercising their right to vote. So understand that this, there are going to be good messages and bad messages. My focus is going to be, despite all the, the haters or the people who want to just spew dirt at this point, it is, it is absolutely about how we empower people. So if in my message that we go from a 4% turnout to a 90% turnout, then we have been successful. And if people want to have their voices heard, if they want to have the kind of independent representation that they're looking for, if they want to have a progressive candidate, and not sometimes progressive, but somebody who's truly progressive and believes in, believes in the ideals, not just when it's convenient, but because it's necessary, then they'll be voting for Anthony Miranda for Queensborough president. Are you looking for something to do this week? We have got you covered. Are you serious? No. I mean, yes. Wear 80s attire, play old arcade games, and join the breakdance crew at the Queen's Council of the Arts Step Back Into the 80s Gala. The event is taking place at the Knockdown Center in Maspeth on Thursday, February 6th from 7 to 10 p.m. Admission is $50 in advance and $75 at the door. Go to queenscouncilarts.org for more information. Guitar Mash and the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment are bringing an urban campfire to Queens. Come Jan with special guest Carlos Alomar, who's known for his work with David Bowie. And if you don't play an instrument, just listen. It's on Friday, February 7th, and it starts at 8 p.m. at Flushing Town Hall. Tickets are $10, but they're eight for members and free for teens. It's tax season. Wow, that came fast. And I really need to fix up some of my offshore accounts. But for you, if you need some help, Common Point Queens is offering free tax prep for folks making less than $50,000 a year. You have to make an appointment at commonpointqueens.org and the workshop is being offered on Sunday, February 9th from 1 to 5 p.m. And again, it is free. That's our show. Thanks so much for tuning in. And make sure to head to qns.com to get more Queens news. This episode was produced by me, Angelica Acevedo, and Jacob K. Co-written and co-hosted by me and Jacob, who also edited and mixed the show. Our reporters are Jenna Bakal, Kalata Mohammed, Bill Perry, Max Parrott, Jacob, and me. Our editor is Zach Guelph. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. This podcast is brought to you by Schneps Media. See you next week.